Yay! So today is a little different. If if this is your first time to Element, it's we usually have a band that plays music, and we're not really doing that today. After the message, Jason's going to do a couple songs, uh, just so you have time and reflection to take communion and stuff. But uh, we wanted to keep this morning as short as possible because we want you to hang out and spend some time. And we did not realize it was going to be like one of the coldest days of the year. <laughs> everybody's like, it's cold, I'm leaving. But we tried, we tried to make services shorter so you guys could hang out and grab some cake and maybe tell some of your stories about Element, maybe some of the, your most favorite memories or something like that. Uh, I was talking to these people after first service. It was their first time here. And first service, the projectors didn't work. We didn't, have, we didn't show the video because everything just kind of broke down. And it was just really awkward and weird. And I said... That's everybody's experience at Element. We just awkward and weird. It's so you can just share that with everybody else. So if you kind of think of some of your stories and stuff, maybe hang out a little bit and kind of share those things with one another. That's we're trying to keep the service a little shorter today, so you have time to do that. I have I do have three announcements for you though. Uh, number one is that if you are interested in getting baptized after this service, right over in the portable, right across the way, we're going to do a short little baptism class. If you want to head over there for that. Uh, secondly, uh, this Friday is our Seder meal. Uh, a Seder meal is like a Jewish Passover, but we celebrate it here in a Christian context of understanding why the Jews did, uh, why the Jews celebrated Passover, what they talked about during that, and then how it makes sense in terms of believing who Jesus is. And so there's a whole meal that goes along with that. We'd love for you to come, but today is the last day to sign up. Uh, if you have kids, we we'd love for you to bring your kids. If your kids can sit through something about the length of a sermon. Uh, and you can pay attention while they're sitting through that thing about the Lake of the Sermon. <laughs> you can bring those with you to the meal. But we also have child care available in, in case your kids can't do that and they're younger. And just sign up for that so we know how many are coming. Uh, if, you're, if your kids don't want to eat what is served at the Seder meal, because we'll feed the kids as well, but if they don't want what's served at the Seder meal, br- you can bring something for them to eat during that time while they're over in the kids' classes too. So today's the last day to sign up for that. Let us know what you need. And my third thing is uh, Element, when people give to Element, I think over 50% of our giving at this time now actually comes online. And uh, the e-giving system that we use changed last Thursday or Friday. And it's caused a lot of confusion for some people. I don't know why, because if you've ever given online, like every week leading up to it, they're telling you, hey, this is happening, this is happening. But if you're like me and you use Gmail, all those things go into my promotions and I just delete all those and apparently never read it. I'm like, what happened? So this is what has happened. Uh, they apparently have three different platforms they consolidated into one. And if you had like a username of some sort that wasn't your email address, now your username is your email address and your password is still the same. You can get in and just kind of do everything like you normally do. But I'm just letting you know, if you log on to it, it's going to look a little different. Don't freak out. We, no one has hijacked Element's website or your giving platform. It's all okay. And you can just do it like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, everybody's all, what, email? I, all I heard is Gmail, now I'm paying attention. All right, uh, if you are new, welcome. Uh, there are Bibles under the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. On all the communion tables throughout the room, there are these little booklets that look like this called Didn't See That Coming. Uh, this is essentially our sermon notes for the first 16 weeks of this year. Our staff all work together to put these things together for you guys. And in these, you'll get short little daily devotions. You'll get... Uh, gospel community questions to talk to your friends or your gospel community if you're in one. There's family questions that all kind of tie into the message so we can move forward in understanding the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And so if you don't have one of those, they're free. Please please grab one and take one and, u- and use one. 
Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More and then Events, and Uversion will come by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get notes from the message. But the notes are just simply going to be the verses, uh, a gospel statement out of the book. It has a download PDF where you can get the whole book if you wanted to get it online, and some announcements and stuff like that. That's all that's that's in there. But Grab a book. Hard copy is always good to take with you. If you like, we printed plenty, so don't worry. There's always extra. Yeah, so my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and I'll get started. Today's a little more serious message for you. You're welcome. Uh, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand the good news of what you have said and what you continue to do in our lives. That we would begin to live that out in a way that brings you great glory as we live in the joy that you provide. And that we would have this deep, profound understanding of your goodness and your grace so that we would live out all the things that you have first done in us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so as I said, we're doing this series called Didn't See That Coming. This is week 12. Didn't See That Coming is all about what the gospel is. A lot of times when you hear the word gospel, people don't understand that. So the word gospel is not some song and dance musical that Andrew Lloyd Webber did. Uh, the gospel is not some of these crazy TV shows or movies where Christians like you know, self-flagellate or like whip each other. It's not someone at the door of your house or at the mall handing out tracts with the four, five, six, seven, eight spiritual laws. The gospel is the good news that our God has been on a rescue mission to seek and to save us from our own self-centered life of sin. That's the gospel. The gospel is nothing that we do. It is all what God has done to rescue and save us. And so today, and didn't see that coming, we're actually to the place where we're going to talk about Jesus' death, which is a little bit heavier than stuff we've talked about the other weeks. Now, Jesus dying for us is something that no one ever saw coming because no one thought the God of the universe would come in flesh and actually die for anybody. No one would have seen that God would allow people to put his hand, our hands on him and crucify him. No one understood it except for God, who keeps talking about it throughout the Old Testament scriptures. So, I'll give a little bit of background, then we'll start, step into this. It um, starts like this. Uh, our first parents, beginning of humanity, believed they knew better than God, and they rebel against him. And since that time, it is in our nature to be evil. We naturally go that way. And I don't mean like presidential candidate evil. I mean like real world, normal evil. Like when your kids hit two years old, the first words that they start going with is no and mine. And that's how we live our entire lives. No and mine. And when God says something, what do we say to God? No and mine. We have this propensity to run towards our own self-centeredness. And so man breaks relationship with God because we want to rule our own universe. And we and creation into the spiral because men are not the answer. Eventually, God comes to this guy named Abraham and he promises some things to to Abraham. I'm going to store relationship with you. And so God promises to bless Abraham and us. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 3.14, it says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So the promise is really about Jesus, but it's also about all those blessings coming to us as well. For God, he promises to Abraham here, who is really old at this point, like don't buy green bananas old, that's how old he is, that he will have a son that will lead to a son, to a son, to a son, that eventually lead to God's son, Jesus. And in Genesis 15, it has been a really long time since God has made these promises. And and probably like decades at this point. And so Abraham's starting to question God's timing in this. And God's not angry with Abraham questioning his timing. What God will do in Genesis 15 is he will promise and pledge 
provides salvation for Abraham and for us. God promises hope and redemption and restoration and salvation by establishing this thing called covenant. Covenant. Now, we hear this word covenant today. We don't really understand what it means because we are a culture that's about contracts and warranties and you sign your name here and that means you better pay for this and if you don't, we're going to come after you because you sign your name. Covenant really though, it's all about relationship. In covenant, one person pledges to another by a visible decree. And so in Genesis 15, Abraham slaughters some animals. It is a bloody mess. These animals are torn in two and God shows up. And God walks through and passes through these animals of Abraham's sacrifice. In Genesis 15, God commits himself to save his people as represented in Abraham's sacrifice of these animals. God says, Abraham, I will fulfill what I said if it takes me being slaughtered like these animals. God is foreshadowing Christ's death on the cross. People ask sometimes, why is the sacrificial system in the Old Testament there? Well, one of the reasons it's there is to show what God would do to save us and to reach us. God commits himself to death to fulfill his words, that the blessings of salvation would come. And so Jesus becomes a man and dies a brutal, bloody death to bring about the terms of the covenant that were once given to Abraham to bless all nations of the earth. And so people ask this question, well, why did Jesus have to die? Uh, I have uh, answered this in multiple sermons throughout the last couple years and blogs in the last couple years. You can look those up. But briefly, to, to sum this up, Jesus died because we had brought sin and death and separation into the world. We have bound ourselves to sin with chains of blood that are so deep in our souls, and we can never break those. God said to Adam, when you sin, you will die. And they sinned, and they died. The death here God is talking about is separation from life. God is our source of life. When we sinned against him, we separate ourselves from our source of life. We entered death. But God promises a redeemer to come and save and restore them. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And this is, this is why when Jesus comes, John the baptizer, sitting in the Jordan River, sees him and says, The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Because Jesus was that perfect lamb, that perfect sacrifice. This is the language of love and restoration and reconciliation. Romans 3, 25 and 26, it says, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just and justifier. God has anger, wrath that burns against sin because sin brings death. It destroys his creation. So he is angry at that. And so God's anger is just. But it says he's also the justifier. That he comes and he rescues and saves us. So not only is he angry at sin, but he also justifies us by what he does. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The transgressors is us. Jesus is God who becomes a man and lived without sin. Though he was tempted in every way as we are, he was without sin. This is why Jesus alone can reconcile a holy God for, to a sinful people because he is our lamb that takes away our sin. The verse we started with, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you, and the word you there is plural, to God. We get to come to God because of Christ's sacrifice. There is nothing more important than the death and the life of Jesus, the cross, propitiation. Some of your Bibles say atonement, but this idea, without Jesus, there's no eternal life. There's no forgiveness of sin. There's no relationship with the good and holy God. The gospel is 
Jesus comes to rescue and redeem us. And so I want us to be on the same page for where we're going to go this morning. And even if you're not a believer, I want you to understand that this is what we believe that God has done for us, that we do not pay for our sin. We can't work it off. Jesus did all of these things for us. That's where we have to start. So when Jesus actually shows up, as God's promised Messiah. The Jews have been waiting for this Messiah, this anointed one, like Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is the term Messiah. And so they think when this Messiah shows up that he will take care of the sin problem in the world, which is what we agree with as well, but they think he's going to take care of it by waging war and destroying all of Israel's enemies. The way they understand this thing called the kingdom of God is that God's going to show up and kill everybody except for them because they're the good people and everyone else is going to be done. And if you look at Jesus and his teaching, he does keep talking about the kingdom of God, but it's a way to get them to see that God is not beholden to their agenda or our agenda, and they don't hear it. They're, they're like that dense friend when you crack a joke and they don't get it, and so you have to explain the joke. Anybody, yeah, right, right. It's not because you're not funny, it's because they're slow. That's how I feel about all my jokes at Element. It's not that I'm not funny, it's that you... The shoe fits. So, the kingdom of heaven uh, are these words. It's called uh, Malkut Shamayim. Heaven is simply a synonym for God here. Much like people say, oh, thank heaven, kind of means thank God, same thing. These are interchangeable. Jesus will use these terms 82 times in his teaching, so it's important. He wants us to understand something. And part of that is that the kingdom of God is not a political movement. It does not rule by swords. It's not with us putting Christian leaders to govern an unconverted world. The kingdom of God appears when God's people live in the understanding of the gospel, when we live out what God is doing in our lives. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And we get this picture of this, of Jesus standing at the pearly gates, and those going, Oh, no, you didn't say Lord, Lord. This is actually can be translated in the present tense. It could actually be not everyone who says Lord, Lord to me comes into the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, not everyone who slaps a fish on their business card or a cross on their car or wears a crazy Christian t-shirt are actually Christians. I know, surprising, huh? What? I didn't see that coming, right? You will know those who live in the kingdom of God by how they live out the rule and the reign of God in their hearts and in their lives. This is understanding when we understand the gospel and what it's done, it's meant to change us so our lives begin to look different. The the kingdom of God is something Jesus uses to describe the body of his followers among whom God is present in power that his spirit moves. And again, it's seen in how they live as a response to the good news. And so Jesus talks about this in four different ways. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. In John, Jesus shows how you become part of this kingdom, and that's first off being born again. Uh, out of the 60s, the whole born-again movement kind of happened, and we kind of mess up what this actually means. It really, in the end, means surrendering our life to Jesus. He makes us alive. In John chapter 3, uh, Jesus is teaching this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Uh, things in John's gospel, they're always loaded with metaphor and visuals at night. Some people say, oh, he came at night because he was afraid to be seen, which could be true, could be true, but also it's more to show that Nicodemus is in the dark. And Jesus is the light, and he's going to bring Nicodemus into the light through his teaching. So they have this little conversation about the kingdom of God, and Jesus says, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus says this in John chapter 3, verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Good question. He says, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And I'm sure we don't have the entire conversation, because I'm pretty sure Jesus is like, 
No, that'd be gross and weird, so let's not try and do that. But what Jesus does is he starts to talk to him, and he speaks to him this understanding of the gospel about what God is doing, and that we become a people who become humbled by that, and that there's a new way to live life, and everything in the world is now upside down, and Jesus will bring us back alive because we have experienced spiritual death, and now we have a new life and a new reality. We essentially have a whole new world set out in front of us. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, 13 verse 44, Jesus here talks about the kingdom of God and of, of its worth and of its value and what it's meant to mean to us and its worth and its value. Matthew 13 verse 44, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went out and sold all he had and, and bought that field. The next verse talks about a pearl of great value that you're going to go and sell everything just so you can buy this pearl. This is Jesus' way of showing the worth and the value of the kingdom to his disciples who will carry this on after his death and resurrection. Abraham Herschel, who's a Jewish scholar, said, The Greeks learned in order to comprehend, but the Hebrews learned in order to revere. The point was the revering of who God is and honoring Him. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is worth everything in our lives. Every bit of who we are and the joy we find there overpowers every other hindrance. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 33. It's probably a verse that, if you've been in church two weeks in your life, you've probably heard this verse, so you're going to hear it again. But this is about what the kingdom of God actually brings. Uh, Matthew six thirty-three. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Sometimes when we read those verses, we think, oh, all these things will be given to me. I'll have comfort, I'll have security, I'll have all the things I ever wanted. That's not what the verse is about. It's about seeking first God's kingdom, and in that seeking his kingdom, we begin to have purpose and identity and mission. All these things, the selling all for this, and the buying of the pearl, and, the, and all, it's all about the worth and the value, and living out, understanding the kingdom in our lives. All we could ever dream of purpose and fulfilling our God-given destiny is found first in seeking God's kingdom. And all of Jesus' teaching, like most Jewish teachings, the vision of God and his will is distinctive. Everything points to the rule and the reign of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, and Jesus shows, talks about our focus here. At one point, Jesus is talking about to a rich young ruler uh, who tells Jesus he has kept all the commandments. If you don't know, that's really hard to do, okay? I'm sure we're going to break a whole bunch just pulling out of the parking lot and getting mad at somebody else. So Jesus responds to this guy in Mark 10, 21. He says this, One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This is another verse that people totally misunderstand. Jesus here is not talking about rich and poor and money. It is an issue about what we love more than God, what we have placed as the center of our lives. Are we willing to surrender everything in our lives to be ruled by God? Are we giving ourselves to money? Are we giving ourselves to God? All these things work together in the book of Matthew to give us a view of God and his kingdom. We enter it by being reborn. It is worth everything. When we, when we fall, it brings us everything in our lives that we can imagine for hope and purpose and destiny. And our focus should be set upon who God is. All of these things come together. So with that in mind, open your Bibles to John chapter 12. This is a day on the church calendar. Some of your phones might say this as well. And we call it Palm Sunday. And so we'll talk about why that's called Palm 
Sunday. Uh, Jesus has just finished his greatest miracle other than his own resurrection. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. The result is the exact opposite of what you think. The religious people want him dead. They were irritated and mad at him because he did this great miracle. Didn't see that coming. And so you see him right into the face of this with great courage and personal strength in front of thousands of eyewitnesses. John 12, 12 says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so there's these social networks. They're talking about Jesus. They're like, let's go hear him. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Let's show up. Let's see what he's going to do. Because when your friend tells you something, you're more likely to believe it. If you read a funky you know, Facebook chain email that says, uh, I, I was raised from the dead. You don't quit your job and go find this guy because you're like, he's a weirdo. But if your best friend says, oh, I was dead and Jesus raised you from the grave, you're more inclined to believe those kind of things. So these social networks, these stories are going out. Jesus is teaching. Verse 13. So they took palm, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying. This is Psalm 118. Hosanna, which means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus has been speaking about the kingdom of God. And so this looks great. Oh, the king of Israel, blessed you, comes in the name of the Lord. What they're really doing, though, is they're trying to tell Jesus what to do. They're saying, save us now. Be the king of Israel. That's the king. That, that, that's the key right there. It's not, it's not how Jesus speaks of a kingdom. It's how they interpret the kingdom, what we just looked at. They want Jesus to rise up, to call them to arms, to take them out to battle and declare, declare war on Rome. What they want is a fight. They, they are bearing palm branches. Palm branches is how you receive a military hero. And it shows they've all missed the point of what Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. Didn't see that coming. These people are shouting. They're singing. They're welcoming. Oh, the king. He's speaking about his kingdom. Let's go to war. And then when he doesn't do what they want him to do, what will they do the very next week is they will shout out, crucify him, and kill him. They are exactly like us. We have agendas. We come to Jesus. We say, do what we want you to do. And when he doesn't do it, because he wants to bring about his kingdom in the right way in our lives, we get mad. People say things like, I tried God. He didn't work. Oh, what does that mean? It means that God didn't give you what you wanted. God will give us what we need to grow us, to grow us. And people make fun of me and how overkill I am about my messages that I give you because I write them so far out. Like when I was writing this message, Election Day 2016, I had to get this thing done because we're trying to put these booklets together so everybody can kind of walk through those things. When I was writing this, I didn't even know who had won yet. kind of seems like we still don't know who won at this point, but anyway... (laughs) But we call it an election because it comes from a Latin root that means choice. We get to make a choice who holds offices that govern our laws. When we talk about the gospel, though, it's also an election. It's it's a choice, not made by us, but made by God himself. God elected to save us by making a choice to send Jesus as a substitute for our sins. The death of Jesus for our sins is what God elected to do for us, that he will use man's rebellion to bring it about. The chief priests, they will go and they will arrest Jesus and send him in front of this Roman governor named Pilate. He will be tried and sentenced to death. And all these exchanges in Jesus' conversation take place in this and throughout all this. But it's very interesting, the words that Jesus says. Open your Bibles to John chapter 18. The Israelites are a lot like us. They they think that political power was the power to influence and fix the world. This is why Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom of God in a totally different way. 
That's why when we have an understanding of the gospel, we understand it's not about political movements. It's about what Jesus is doing in our lives. As a matter of fact, like the birth narratives of Jesus being born, we seem to even miss some of that in there. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. It's a different kingdom. God keeps trying to get people to understand it is a different kingdom. What the human race needs is something that no human can give. It's only what God himself can give. Even before Jesus goes in, in John chapter 12, he tells his disciples, I'm going to go there and I'm going to die. And I'm going to die, not to conquer through military might, but to conquer sin through his death. So when Jesus stands before Pilate, he's being questioned about all these things. John 18, 36, Jesus says this to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Now this is twofold, because one, in the book of Revelation, in the end, you see God's kingdom does establish itself upon the earth. Okay, it's physically present. But the other thing in this as well is that this Jesus talking about how his kingdom is not like anything on the earth. It doesn't function the way that we think it should function. And these statements, they totally dumbfound Pilate. Because in Rome, kingdoms work through military and political might. And yet Jesus says, my followers are not going to rise up because the Jews wanted someone to slaughter Romans. That's what they wanted to have happen, not save Romans. But what Jesus will do with his death is save Romans too. After the mockery, that's his trial in John 19, verse 11. Jesus again is talking to Pilate. And he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. He says to him, none of what is going to happen or has happened at this point takes place without the authority of God. God is not making people murder Jesus, but the authority they have is only granted by God. Why would God do this? Why would God allow Jesus to be sentenced to death and go to a cross? Because God made a covenant. Because God promised that he would rescue and redeem and save us. That he is going to bring about his kingdom. And he wants his creation of his people to be in that kingdom. And the only way to do that is to remove what separates these people from his kingdom. This thing called sin. And so Jesus comes and dies in our place to take away our sin. And today we are just like the Romans and the Jews. They both wanted to dictate their own future, so it came to pass exactly how they wanted. And Jesus makes it clear that he is the one who is in charge, that he is the one who has authority. He knows the sovereignty of the Father, that his hard circumstances are not a result of the failure on God's behalf. Jesus rested knowing that even though his cup was going to be bitter, he was going to drink of it. Because he knows he is bringing about the kingdom of God. Nothing at this point where Jesus is going to die is considered an accident. Everything comes out of the sovereignty and foreknowledge of God. This is why for us when we talk about the gospel throughout this series and understanding the good news of what God did, it brings things, it brings results into our lives. First off, it it brings hope. Because we know that our circumstances are not the final word. That God's word is always the final word. The gospel reminds us that God will bring about everything to his will because he is good for his promises. Jesus, at this point, he doesn't need therapy or medication. He doesn't freak out because he knows the Father is not done. Jesus will die. He will rise from the grave. He will save his kids. He will bring them to a house prepared. There is always hope. If you understand the gospel, secondly, it has the ability to yield ourselves to the will of the Father. 
It doesn't mean we're just passive and throw our hands up. We yield to God in hard places and get through it and move on because we know God has desires and God is in control of all things. Understand the gospel brings the clarity of the love of God because we understand that the ropes didn't constrain Jesus to his beatings, that the nails didn't constrain him to the cross. His love for us did. That's why, because God made promises. God is bigger than our sin and bigger than our error and bigger than our mistakes and he will bend everything to his will. God is tremendously mighty. There is nothing greater than our God. And understand the gospel brings real and true freedom. Because we live in a world today that is obsessed with controlling and predicting tomorrow. Guys, we don't need to know the future because we know God. And he holds our future in his hands. He is the one who holds everything and there is tremendous freedom in that. If we have a proper view of the gospel, it brings a proper view of living in God's kingdom, and that changes everything in us. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus didn't understand the kingdom of God in the right way? It would have been a total disaster. From here, Jesus is led out to a hill. He is crucified. The Romans think that they're killing an insurrectionist. The Jews think they're killing a blasphemer. And Jesus is the only one who knows exactly what he is going to do on that cross. Peter looks back on this event in 1 Peter 2.24. And he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What brings healing? What brings hope? What brings freedom? Jesus' death and resurrection given to us. See, Jesus is God in the flesh that has come to rescue and to save us. Guys, as inoffensively as possible, I can say this. I am really sick today of this weak, neutered, worthless God who does nothing but cry with us. We need a king with authority who can give orders, who can change things, and knows what in the world he is doing. This is Jesus even going to the cross. No, you wouldn't do this if the authority was not given to you to do this. He is still in control. He is not afraid. He knows exactly what he is doing. I know at the crucifixion, he doesn't look like a king. He is beaten, betrayed, spat upon, ruined from a cross. But the beauty and irony of God is that nothing is as it seems. And what we always see is just a shadow. All the way back in the second week of didn't see that coming, Genesis 3.15, after mankind sins and runs away from God, what does Jesus do? He comes walking in the garden. He makes promises. I am going to come, and I am going to rescue, and I am going to redeem. And he promises these things, knowing it's a beating and a crucifixion, that he would take our sin upon himself, that he would heal us from our greatest self-inflicted wound. That's the gospel. And it is something that none of us ever saw coming except for God himself. Jesus is the king who rules and reigns, brings everything to fruition by bending everything to his will. And that should encourage you. This is the God that we need. This is the good news that our hearts and lives have always been begging for. See, the Romans are a people, they thought they needed a, a bigger and better government. Sounds like a lot of people today. The Jews thought they needed a better and bigger and good religion to fix everything. Sounds like a lot of people today. Peter and some of the disciples thought they just really needed a really good fight until one presented itself, and then they all ran away. It's really kind of sad. But as things change, nothing changes. A bigger government's not going to fix the problem. A religion with more morality is not going to fix the problem. A crusade of our own with swords and guns are not going to fix the problem. Jesus is what fixes the problem. This is the gospel. Jesus and him alone, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascending, returning. That is what we need. Christ, our king. And by God's grace, that is what we have. And we are called to be a people who understand that and begin to live that out in real and practical ways. 
So this is my gospel statement for you this week. It's longer, and I'm not going to make you repeat it. You're welcome. Okay, this is it. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has come in fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament to provide a way for us to come into the kingdom of God by removing our sin through dying on a cross and rising from the grave. He has restored and redeemed us to be his people in the world by his sacrifice. I'll read it to you one more time. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has come in fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament to provide a way for us to come into the kingdom of God by removing our sin through dying on a cross and rising from the grave. He has restored and redeemed us to be his people in the world by his sacrifice. Guys, I don't know what God has allowed in your life or brought into your life, but I will tell you he is always good for his promises. Always good for his promises and when god gives joy we be joyful we live in that joy element celebrating 10 years today on a really cold day but you we want you to be joyful in that that god is doing amazing things i i could not even imagine that we would have been here three months after we started element it's 10 years and we're still going forward it's crazy. So we have joy. We want to celebrate with one another if maybe in your life you have sorrow right now trust that god is not done Trust he's not done. The final word is God's, and it is love and grace. It is love and grace. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is good. Next week, get to Easter. Easter is like the Christmas, right? I love Christmas. But, I mean, Easter is like, it is like, should be the most joyous day of the year. Because not only did Jesus die for our sin, he rose from the grave to bring us back to life, conquering everything that wanted to hold us down. Because he himself is simply that good. So next week there's going to be a lot of joy. And I know today is kind of heavy, but we've got to hit that heavy thing to understand what Jesus did in fulfillment of all of God's promises. This is why we go to communion every single week. It's where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me that his body was broken and his blood was shed. Because God made a covenant to rescue and to save us. And God is good for his promises. Jason's going to come up. Do like a song and a half, something like that. <laughs> as he does, I'm going to invite you guys to take uh, communion. As I said, there'll be some deacons in the back. If you guys need prayer, uh, they would love to pray with you. Maybe you're in a place today where you haven't understood the kingdom of God, or maybe it's a whole new concept to you and you have some questions like, why did Jesus really have to die? They'd love to pray with you about that or, or talk to you about those things. But if you have anything going on in your life, they, they love to pray with you about that. So they're going to be right there in the back. Um, there's offering boxes next to all the doors, and we give because God gave so much to us, giving as part of our worship. We do not pass a plate at Element because it always, we always want it to be a response to what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, and again, there's, there's cake outside. Uh, meet some other people. You know, grab maybe some sermon notes and questions, and maybe today you know, share your favorite stories about Element. I remember the first time we came to Element, they had this 10th anniversary party. You know, I don't, <laughs> You know, whatever it is, you, you share your stories. Maybe you know stories about how I'm less offensive now than I used to be in saying things from up here. I don't know. <laughs> I'm told I've gotten better. The wheels came off. Okay, so we're going to keep going. Uh, maybe, just, maybe some stories about you know, what Element has meant and those kind of things and, and kind of go a little deeper and take some of those questions this week with, your, with some of your friends and, and go through those and talk about what the kingdom of God is and what it means to be lived out in Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection and the goodness that he has given to us as his people because he is so, so good. That God has always been good for his promises. And we as a people live in the hope of the good news that he has rescued and redeemed and saved us because he is good for those promises. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us to remember what you have done, that when you have made promises, you are always good for them.
And though sometimes we don't see how something could actually work out, you still bring things about to your glory and this world's ultimate good. And so I ask that you would teach us to trust you in that, that we begin to live out our lives in ways that bring your kingdom into the reality of where we are now. That living out our understanding of your good news would begin to change things, would change us. So as we are involved in lives around us, things around us begin to change because of how you've changed us. And that we would live out corporately as a people the kingdom of God. The hope and the truth and the grace and the life that you have so freely given to us. And when our minds get so unfocused and off track that you would bring us back to who you are by the understanding of the gospel. And that we would be humbled by your goodness and grace. And that we would live out our lives knowing that you are everything. To just to worship you, not just this morning, but by every action that we take. Have our lives be living sacrifices so you're lifted up and honored in all we do. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.